Amen, amen. Thank you, Cameron, and our praise team, as always. You guys do an amazing job. And just to get our hearts and our minds focused on the Lord, that's why we're here, to worship Christ, to exalt Him, to praise Him, and to honor Him through the preaching and teaching of His Word, which is what we aim to do right here today, Revelation chapter 10 this morning. We're, we're marching right through. We're going to finish chapter 10 today. Uh, we'll spend a couple of weeks on chapter 11, and then from there on, you know, it'll just, uh, it'll just be as the Lord leads. But I feel like we're gaining some, some very good momentum right now, and so I want to thank you guys for hanging in there with us and hope that you are inspired and encouraged and, and, and challenged to go deeper in your own personal journeys, to understand this book, to understand the message of the revelation of Jesus Christ and how important it really is. You know, I have three boys, and my favorite age for any child is probably around that three- to four-year-old age. Uh, something about a, a three- or four-year-old child, you know, they're, they're talking, they're learning to communicate. They're so inquisitive. Uh, they're asking questions about what? Everything, right? And I just love it, you know, and Dad, what is this? And Dad, why is this? And Dad, can you tell me this? And, and, and it's just so fascinating to me to see their little minds working and, and how their brains are just absorbing everything. And then they're, they're too cute to get mad at them at that age, you know. So it's hard to, like, get, get angry with them. Um, but it's just, it's just a, a fascinating age and a wonderful age. And, and I think that today's message is going to remind us of what it what it's like to be a little child in the sense that all of you in here today, you have some questions. You know, do any of you have like a, a list of questions that you want to ask the Lord when you finally get to heaven? Anybody got that? Yeah. Because there are just so many things and, and we're like little children in the big scope of things. He's our heavenly father and, and he has revealed himself to us and Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for the scriptures, because without the scriptures, we wouldn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ, his, his giving everything that we need. Again, he, he doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us everything that we need, right, for salvation, to understand who we are, who he is, to have that relationship with him. And so the scriptures are, are our, um, just our treasure on this earth because he, he does answer a lot of questions. And, I, and, and if you guys know me long enough, you know that I love apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, it's simply the, the art and the science and, the, and the, uh, uh, it's the way that we defend our faith. It's, it's, the, it's the, the art of defending the faith, uh, being able to provide an answer for anyone who may ask us for the hope that we have Within us, and, and I think that we need to answer people's questions, but there will be just certain things, guys, that we just won't know the answer to until either we go to be with Him in heaven or Christ what? Or Christ returns. And if we're looking at Revelation chapter 10 this morning, that's really, in a nutshell, what this entire passage says to me. That's, that's kind of where I want to go with this passage. Now, there, there's some other interesting things that we're going to look at here in just a moment with this passage, but, but the, the, the main thrust of this whole chapter is that John is, is continuing this, this revelation, this vision from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is told here in Revelation chapter 10 
that at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be finished, will be complete. In other words, all our questions will be what? They'll be answered in that day. There, there will be, you know, it'll be this collective aha moment, I think, in, in a sense that so many things that we just can't quite see clearly now will become clear for the believer and also for who? For the unbeliever, for those who, who are denying Christ, for those who have rejected God, for those who even uh, want to hide behind atheism and, and say that there is no God and, and that they, they can't believe in, in the God of the Bible. And guess what? They're going to believe one day. And that's what really this, this whole passage, I think, is trying to, to help us remember. And again, remember what we just went through, right? So, so one of, what's the hardest thing? One of the hardest things about the book of Revelation, it's heavy hitting content. It's the, the demonic locust army coming up out of the bottomless pit, 200 million strong to go and, you know, wage war on the earth and, and devastate and kill a third of mankind and and you, you read stuff like that and you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have to look at that. I don't want to have to face those kind of things. But the scriptures are clear that this is what we have to expect during this time of great tribulation. And it's heavy hitting content and, and it's, a, it's very overwhelming. And that's why I think the Lord reveals the book of Revelation to us in this way. So that when we just get to the point where we can't take any more, he, he, he gives us a breather. And he kind of he puts a stop to the action. And he says, okay, l- let me give you some encouragement now. And I want you to find some encouragement from Le- Revelation chapter 10 this morning as we look at what it means for the mystery of God to be finished. And so uh, there's my, my chart that I, I refer to quite often. You guys are, uh, feel free to, to navigate that whenever you need to. I'll tell you later where I feel like uh, will be in this chart in just a minute. But let's, let's just go ahead and, and jump right into Revelation 10 this morning. And what I want to do is, it's a, it's a relatively short chapter. I'm just going to try to go ahead and just read it all the way through. So we, you know, we're just going to get it kind of uh, in context, and then we'll come back and, and break it down together. So let's go to Revelation 10. Now remember, we just finished the sounding of the sixth trumpet, which is the 200 million manticore army coming up out of the bottomless pit, Killing a third of mankind. This is Satan's army that he is gathering for himself to wage war against Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. I'm 100% convinced of that. So the Lord says, let's take a break from that. That's heavy stuff. Let's take a pause. Let me tell you something else, John. So look at what it says in Revelation 10. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillar of fire, pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, and created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay. 
But that in the days of the, set of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will be in your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, it my stomach became bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's, uh, let's take a minute just to pause. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to pause and thank you for this, uh, this passage. I want to thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I want to thank you for the promise that we are no longer slaves, no, no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to fear to the spiritual bondage, Lord, of this world, but we are your children. And we want to thank you for that and help us to receive this message with ears to hear like your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's first try to identify who is this mighty angel that John is seeing here in this vision. Now, there are many, again, as, as with all of these things in the book of Revelation... There are many different interpretations about this mighty angel. I'm going to go ahead and jump out there and tell you who I think it is. I think that John is encountering this mighty angel, this mighty messenger, and I think this mighty angel is the angel of the Lord, who is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ and the image of the invisible God. And some people say, well, hold on now, Brother Marcus. Now, how are you calling Jesus Christ an angel? Well, see, one of the problems that we have is the understanding of the word angel. The word angel simply means messenger. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not a word that describes someone's being or essence. It's a word that describes what somebody does. So any of us can be a, an angel in the sense of being a what? A messenger. And as we read through the Old Testament... There is this character that shows up over and over and over again in human form, anthropomorphic form. And he is leading the children of Israel and he is performing great acts and he's speaking as if he were God in human form. And he is called the angel of the Lord. He is a me- he's the messenger of the Lord. Now, there are again good arguments as to why this may not be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go chase those down. I don't have time to go into all of those today. I'm going to give you the reasons today why I believe this is uh, the angel of the Lord or the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of my primary reasons is, what's the name of the book that we're studying? Revelation of Jesus Christ. It would only stand a reason that we are as we track through and study this book, is that the book itself, the prophecy itself, is giving us more and more aspects of the character and nature and person and being of Jesus Christ. And I think this is 
another example of how we're seeing another perspective of who Jesus Christ is. And I'll give you all the reasons why I believe that here in just a second. So John is encountering this mighty angel. Now, the angel of the Lord, as I said in the Old Testament, look at, and this is just a short list of the times that the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament. He showed up to Abraham right outside Sodom, just before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel of the Lord showed up with two other angels. He showed up again when Abraham took Isaac up on the Mount, Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. The angel of the Lord stopped him from sacrificing Isaac. And he said, I now know that you believe in me because I will, you have no longer withheld your son from me. The angel of the Lord is saying, Abraham, you didn't withhold your son from who? From me. Well, who told Abraham to take him on the mountain? God did. The Lord did, right? So you can see these things kind of uh, transpire through the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord wrestled with Jacob at Peniel. Moses in the burning bush on Sinai. That was the angel of the Lord. All of Israel was led out of the Exodus and through the Red Sea by who? By the angel of the Lord. Joshua meets him outside of Jericho just before that event. David meets the angel of the Lord on Mount Zion. Nebuchadnezzar sees this person in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. as one that looks like one of the gods, one of the sons of God, right? It's the angel of the Lord. Daniel in the lion's den specifically says, the angel of the Lord closed the mouths of the lions. And I could give you many, many more instances in the Old Testament. So this is no new character in the Bible, okay? Look at Exodus 14. Then the angel, which simply again means messenger, the angel of God who is going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, there was the cloud and darkness, and it lit up the night with one coming near the other all night long. And so we're told that this, this angel messenger was the one leading the Israelites out of Egypt and protected them by a cloud by day and fire by night. Okay? This is the angel of the Lord. Now, another reason why I believe that this is a description of the angel of the Lord... It's because let's look at how this mighty angel is described, okay? Let me just go back and give you a, a little recap, all right? So we've got, let me see, we've got, he's coming down from heaven. He's wrapped in a cloud, okay, this is Revelation 10. He's wrapped in a cloud that represents the Shekinah glory of God. Again, the cloud by day, the fire by night. He has a rainbow over his head. His face is like the what? Like the sun, his legs are like pillars of fire, burnished bronze. He has the scroll in his hand. Last time I checked in Revelation 5, who received the scroll from the Father? Jesus did. I think that there's a good argument to be made. This is the same scroll. So we know Jesus was given the scroll, and now he's telling John to eat the scroll. I think that's good evidence that this is more than likely the Lord Jesus himself. And, and so he has the voice like a what? Like a lion, okay? And so let's look at some of the other descriptions that we see in the scripture of the Lord Jesus. In Revelation 1, John sees another vision of Jesus. Remember, this is way back at the beginning. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. He, uh, his voice was like the voice of a roar of many wa uh, waters. His face was shining like the what? Sounds very similar to what we just read in, in uh, Revelation 10. Ezekiel saw a vision of the Lord. Look at what it says. This, his waist was like gleaming metal with fire all around. 
Um, it says the appearance of fire, there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the rainbow that is in the cloud on the day of rain was the appearance of the brightness all around him. So this is the glory of the Lord. This is the Lord on his throne. He's got this rainbow appearance around his head or behind him. That's the same thing that we see here with this angel coming down out of heaven. You also see this imagery where the angel raises his right hand to heaven and swears by him who lives forever and ever. And that's a very same uh, depiction that we read in Daniel chapter 10 through 12. In Daniel's vision, look at what it says. I lifted up my eyes. Behold, a man clothed in linen. Uh, his body was like beryl. His face was like lightning. His eyes were like torches. His arms and legs were like burnished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. Sounds pretty familiar, right? These are all very similar descriptions. I believe, of the same person. And then later in Daniel 12, the very same one who's speaking to Daniel, look at what it says. He raised his right hand and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, time, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the people of the, of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So the, these this language and these, the, the descriptions, guys, are given to us for a purpose, I believe, to put these things together. Okay? And, of course, the last description we have in Revelation 10 is that he had the voice like a what? Like a lion. And we know that there's no one else in Scripture described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Jeremiah 25 says, The Lord will roar from on high. And from his holy habitation, he will utter his voice. Joel chapter 3, multitudes in the valley of decision. The sun will grow dark, the stars will no longer shine, and the Lord will roar from Zion and raise his voice from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will tremble. And so we see again in Scripture that this depiction of one speaking like a great multitude or like having the voice of a lion is depicting the, what I believe is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Okay, so again, uh, there's, there is debate, and again, uh, I'm not going to be like 100% dogmatic, but my estimation, what we're dealing with here is John is getting another vision from Jesus himself, and he's going to give him the scroll because John's prop prophetic ministry is not over yet. He still has much more to say, okay? Now, the seven thunders. A lot of people are like, Pastor Marcus, what in the world are the seven thunders? I have no idea. I don't. And, you know, I think it's ironic because John hears the seven thunders, whatever they are, and he's about to what? He's about to write down whatever it is that they say. And the Lord specifically says, nope, can't write that down, John. See, that's going to be reserved as one of the mysteries that we get the answer to when the Lord Jesus returns, Right? And so you, you could spend a long time trying to give comparisons and try to come up with some type of scenario that we can understand what the seven thunders are. I don't have any idea. The best I can do is that on Mount Sinai, when the Lord came down the first time, y'all know the Lord came down before Jesus was incarnate, right? He came down on Mount Sinai. <laughs> okay, again, I believe the, Moses experienced him in bodily form. We can get to that later, another day. But on Mount Sinai, as the Lord came down and the blasting of the trumpet and the, the, the mountains covered in a, in a cloud, look at what happens. 
And it says in verse 19, And as the sound of a ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke to God. Excuse me. Moses spoke and God answered him in the what? In the thunder. So I don't know what a voice like thunder sounds like, but I know what it feels like when thunder you know, shakes your house. And it's a terrifying, helpless feeling. Uh, the Israelites were terrified when the Lord began to speak to Moses in thunder. Look at what it says. Um, Go down and warn the people uh, so that uh, I will not break through, so that they don't try to break through to see the Lord, lest many of them perish. And later it says that the, the Israelites came to Moses and they're like, please don't let God speak anymore. We just want to hear you speak. We don't want to hear him speak anymore. They're trembling because whatever it is that God's voice sounds like thunder, that's probably something similar to what John heard here. But guys, we just don't know. And it's just one of the, why. And here's my question. I don't know why he even put it in there. Because he wasn't going to tell us, you know, it's like, hey, you want to know a secret? <laughs> nah, I'm not going to tell you. And then you just for the whole rest of the day, you're like, you, how, you can't do that to me. You can't tell me that I, you got a secret to tell me. Now you're not going to tell me the secret, right? It's just something wrong about that. But the Lord has a sense of humor, I guess, too. And uh, so he likes to keep certain things to himself. So let's, let's talk about the, the mysteries of God or, or mystery of God, okay? Now, in Revelation 10, look at what it says. Verse 7, so you got this angel, he's given John a, a scroll, he's about to give John this, this little scroll, and, and John's seeing the vision. And this angel, which I again believe is, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, it says, he tells John this, he says, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, this is the, the seventh trumpet. Remember, we, we finished the sixth trumpet last week. God pushed pause. He said, okay, that's enough. I got to fill in some details here before we get to the seventh trumpet. And we won't get to that until, you know, a couple of weeks. We got a couple of weeks away before we really look in detail at what is the seventh trumpet. But I'm going to get it. I'll give you a little bit today because I need to because he, he refers to it here. But look at what he says. He says, in that day of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. The mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophet. Now, let's talk about the word mystery for just a second. When you think about mystery, you know, I don't know what you think about, but I think sometimes we, we look at the word mystery and we think that's something that we can't know. But that's not actually what the word mystery means. This comes from the Greek term mysterion. It's not something unknowable, okay, but it is something that can only be known when God, what, reveals it to us. Okay, so there are many things in our life and especially in Scripture that are kind of hidden or maybe they're kind of under the shadows or still in darkness and we don't quite understand everything. And it's one of those things where God has to reveal that to us for us to look back retrospectively and say, oh, now I what? Now I understand. Now I get it. Like, I, I couldn't see the full picture, but now I'm beginning to see the whole picture. So a mystery is something that is intentionally kept secret or hidden until the proper time when it is to be brought out into the light. And we are told here in this passage that the mystery of God will be fulfilled at the sounding of what? The seventh trumpet. I think that's very significant. I think the Lord put this passage in here for a reason, as, as all of Scripture is there for a reason. Amen. And so he's drawing attention to the seventh trumpet. He's saying the seventh trumpet is significant. Because when the seventh trumpet is sounded, all of our questions, 
will be what? They'll be answered. And we'll get into more about that later. But look at the word fulfilled. The mystery of God will be fulfilled. That word is teleo or telos coming from the Greek word telos, which means it will be it's the consummation. It's the completion of all things. It is the it's to be finished to be. It's, it's when the process is finally over. It's the sum of all things, the end of all things. This is the very same word that Jesus uttered from the cross when he said it is finished teleo paid in full. Amen. Same word. So the mystery of God, all the questions, the secrets, the hidden things that, that we don't fully understand will be finished, completed. They will come to their uh, determined end on that day that the seventh trumpet is sounded. Interestingly enough, we see the same thing in the seventh bowl. When the seventh bowl is thrown out into the air and the angel says, it is done. It's over. It's finished. And so there, there's definitely something to that. Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So that we may do all the words of his law. It's very, very important. The secret things do belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed... What are we studying? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So there, is, there are things as God's people and as God's children that God chooses to reveal to us so that we do have understanding and knowledge of those things. In Matthew 13, as Jesus was on earth and teaching his disciples through different parables and things like that, and, and it's a little side note on parables, by the way, Jesus didn't teach the crowds in parables to make them understand it. Do you know that? He taught the crowds in parables so that they would not understand it. You're like, what? I always thought he would teach these stories and these parables so the crowds could get it. No, he taught in parables to keep things in mystery. And the crowds would be like, I'm not sure what he's really talking about. And then he would take his disciples and go off to the side and he would what? Explain the parable to his disciples. They had unique access to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the parables were not there to help the people, the masses understand. It was actually to keep them in darkness. And you're like, man, that's, that's kind of weird. I never thought that. But that's, that's what Jesus said. Look at what he says here in Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. According to God's will, he had a plan. He wanted to work through his disciples first. And part of it was just a judgment on the people of God in general because all they wanted to do was see another miracle and see another sign. And they didn't really want to believe that Jesus was Messiah. And so therefore, I think that's part of the reason why he still kept them in the dark. And he wanted to give the, the disciples understanding of these mysteries. Now... Let's talk about the mystery of God, okay, if you're, if you're filling in your blanks. The mystery of God that has been kept hidden for ages finally will be complete, will be finished on the day of the Lord when Jesus is revealed from heaven for all to see. What questions do you have 
All of us are wrestling with certain questions right now. Let me give you, let me give you some popular questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Haven't we heard that forever? Tough question. And I'm not going to answer these questions for you, even though I could try. And I'm not even saying all these are like legitimate questions, but they're questions that we ask or that people ask, right? Maybe these are some of your questions. Why do the good die young? Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Look around the world and all these corrupt politicians and business people and Hollywood stars and you know, famous people. And man, they're just rich and healthy and beautiful and got the life and traveling all over the place and they're on TV and, and you look at that and you're like, how can they just get away with their corrupt and moral lifestyles and, and pro- seem to be prospering and here we are trying to serve Jesus and do right and man, we're just struggling to make ends meet. Go read Psalm 73 and give you the answer. That's a good question. Here's a good one. Why is there so much evil in the world? If God is so good, what's with all the evil, God? Can you not do anything about it? Why is the devil still allowed to be let loose? Like, why, is, why, why hadn't God just put an end to him? He's still out there roaring, you know, prowling around like a what? Like, a, like a ro- imitating a roaring lion, right? Trying to be like Jesus. Seeking somebody to devour. Why didn't he just put an end to that, right? Like, what's up with that, God? Uh, what about this? What's the purpose of suffering? Like, does suffering make sense? Is there, is, there, is there any sense to the fact that we suffer? Here's a, here's a big one. Here's the big, one of the big mysteries. What about death? See, the thing about death is that none of us have faced it yet. It's one of those things that you have to wait to face until it gets there and then you can't come back and tell anybody else what it was like. Death is a mystery. What about heaven? Is heaven real? Does God exist? Why am I even here? What, you know, what's the purpose? I, mean, I could go on and on and on. You, know, how, you, know, you get all these other theological questions. So there are so many questions. I'm going to ask my favorite question. How could a holy God die for a sinner like me? That's the question I want to know. How could Jesus go to that cross and take my place when I deserve to die? That's a mystery. There are so many questions that we want the answers to. And and again, the scriptures give us sufficient answers to enough to what we need and what God wants us to have, but there are just going to be certain mysteries that we just aren't going to know until the day that Jesus comes back. So I'm going to run you through. I'm going to take about, about 10 minutes right here because I just started tracking down this word mystery in the Scriptures, especially the New Testament. And it's used a lot, mysterion, right? This, this kind of hidden secret. And it's so fascinating when you start to track it down. So I'm going to give you a few, okay? The mystery of the will of God. Anybody struggling with the will of God today? God, I just wish I knew what your will was for my life. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question. You see, the the, the will of God is not a simple thing. 
There's the prescribed will of God because he's told us everything that he wants us to know in the what? So you don't have to question his will. It has been written. But then there are other things like his decreed will, his desired will. There are certain things that God desires, but they don't necessarily come true because Free human agency is involved in this process too. You see, he, we're not robots. We're not puppets. He allows us to make our choices. So he has a desired will, but we don't always follow his, his will. And so therefore his desired will doesn't always happen. And then, and then you've got this whole idea about his permissive will. So God is allowing certain things to happen like Satan is still allowed to, to run loose right now. Again, within parameters, but he's still allowed to operate. Suffering is still happening right now. That's God's permissive will. He's allowing it to happen even though he doesn't. Now, I think about all the children being aborted in America right now. God's allowing that to happen. Because it's human what? Choices. You want to be pro-choice? See what I'm saying? He allows for human choice. And so you, you try to wrestle with all this mystery of God's will... And all I can tell you guys is that there are certain things in the scriptures I'm not going to go into here, but there are certain things that are just so very clear. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Go, go, look, go do a word search. The will of God. And just read every time in the New Testament where it says the will of God and go read it. And then whatever it says, go do it. That's simple enough. Okay. But it's not going to give us all the answers. Amen. So the mystery of God's good and perfect pleasing will is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some scriptures. In Galatians 1, Paul says, Jesus, pray, grace and peace from our Lord and God Father, God Father Jesus Christ, and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the what? The will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So it was the will of God for Jesus to go to the cross. Ephesians 1, in him, again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ Jesus as, his, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Amen. This this plan for God's will that before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son were in agreement that Jesus Christ would come to earth for one purpose and one purpose alone, to die for sinners. So that in doing so, he might reconcile sinners back to himself, enter into a new relationship with people so that we could inherit the kingdom of God. What an amazing mystery. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar said about the will of God. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Remember, he, he was seven years. He, he walked around like an animal. The dew of heaven fell upon him. He was out of his mind. He came back to his mind. Look at what it says. He says, Blessed be the Most High God. Praise and honor to him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? Job tried that. How did it work out for Job? Didn't work out too good, did it? And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, 
your will be done. What does that mean? What does that mean? And again, I think that's connected. When God's will ultimately will be accomplished is when his kingdom finally comes, which is when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, the kingdom comes with him, right? You have a mystery of Christ living in us. The hope of glory. Look at this. God made known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what? It is a fascinating thing to think that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he comes to live where? In us. Spiritual union with Jesus. The spirit of God comes making a down, a, a down a payment, a deposit in our, in our soul. And we become one with him. And that can never be separated. Amen. It means being born again. And so I could take you through Romans about how we're heirs with Christ as the spirit bears witness with that we're children of God. And there's a glory that's going to be revealed in his people, in his children on that day when our bodies are redeemed. That's the resurrection of the dead. I'm going to skip on through here. Look at this, 1 John 3, 2. I love this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The mystery will be finished. When He comes, we will finally see Him as He what? As He sees us. How is that? Because we look through a glass darkly, but then we will be we will know fully just as we have been fully known. There's the mystery of the Gentile nations. This is called a mystery. The mystery that the Gentiles have been included in the family of God. The Gentiles are incorporated into Israel, the people of God. It's a mystery. If you were a person who lived in, if you were an Israelite or, or, or a Jewish person, you, in your mind, you would be like, there's no way these disgusting, dirty, idolatrous Gentiles are going to be part of what we have here. They just couldn't fathom or comprehend it. And, and yet from the very beginning, it was God's plan to redeem for himself a people from all what? All nations. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Let me go to Ephesians 3. Look at this. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This is the insight into the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery? This mystery, Paul says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promises in Jesus Christ through the gospel. It's an amazing mystery that we get to participate in all the covenant promises and blessings that God made to the people of Israel by faith. We're incorporated. We, we, we get to have the covenant promises applied to us. It's a mystery. This is what he says. It is to be brought to light for everyone and the, that what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Fascinating. And I could go on about that. There's the mystery of Israel. Look what Paul says in Romans 11. Do not be wise in your own sight, Gentiles. He's saying don't be arrogant. God's not finished with ethnic Israel yet. Don't be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved. When will all Israel be saved? When the deliverer comes from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them that I take away their sins. That happens when Jesus returns. Amen. We don't have time to get into all that. 
all Israel will be saved, but it's a mystery. The mystery of the church. Look at what uh, Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. Presenting the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. To be holy and without blemish. He says this mystery is profound. I'm talking that it refers to Christ and his church. God is a bridegroom God who's coming for his bride. We are in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ and His blood. And the mystery is this. I'll help you with this one. He is faithful as our bridegroom. We are not. We are unfaithful. We go running around on the Lord. Don't we? Yes, we do. Probably more often than we want to admit And yet he still remains what? Faithful. And he's constantly calling us back to himself. What an amazing mystery that God would put up with a bunch of idolatrous adulterers and still have mercy. There's so much I could share with you. And then, of course, there's the mystery of the rapture. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15. The mystery of the rapture and the resurrection of the saints... It's when we receive glorified bodies to inherit the kingdom. The scriptures are very, very clear. So this is what it says. I'm going to skip that right there. So the the last trump or the mystery of the rapture says in 1 Corinthians 15, look at what it says. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So God is trying to prepare for us a kingdom, but he's saying in our bodies, in our mortal bodies that we have right now, guys, we can't enter in. We've got to have new what? New bodies. Well, when does that happen? He says, nor does the imperishable inherit inherit imperishable. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Now, I'll get into this later, but I do believe that the seventh trumpet of the Revelation is... The last trumpet. I'm not going to give you my defense for that today, but in a couple of weeks I will. But I believe we're talking about the same event. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be what? Changed. So the rapture of the church is always connected to the resurrection of the dead. And we know Jesus told us when the resurrection of the dead takes place on the last day. Over and over and over again, the scripture tells us, when does the resurrection take place? On the last day, when he returns. And so we have this trumpet, the last trumpet. It's the mystery of the rapture. But there will be a generation that's alive to see Jesus coming in the clouds in heaven when the last trumpet is sounded. And those who are still alive will get called up to meet the Lord in the air as we escort him back to the earth. That's what it means to meet the Lord in the air is to escort him back to the earth. The the, the term meet literally means to go meet somebody to bring them back. And that's what the mystery of the rapture is really all about. Paul tells us again in 1 Thessalonians 4, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So people who are dead in Christ are coming back with him. We declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we don't get to go first. The people who are alive... Don't get to go first. Now, it's going to be pretty much a simultaneous event, but he's telling us this for a reason. But the dead in Christ will be what? 
raised first. So the, those who are dead will get their resurrected bodies, and then we who are alive will get our resurrected bodies at the very same time. And this happens at the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet, again, to meet the Lord in the air as He comes to the earth, as He coming back down. That's what this whole passage is all about. Again, that's the mystery of the rapture. Okay? Now, let's, let's finish this off with looking at the scroll. And, and this will be where I wrap this thing up, okay? If you look with me in the last part of Revelation 10... The scroll is bittersweet, and I wonder why that is. And I think it has something to do with the fact that being a Christian in this world is what? It's bittersweet. Would you trade anything for being a Christian? I wouldn't. Is it easy? It's not. Is it going to get any easier? No, it's not. Is it going to cost you something? Maybe some friends, maybe a job, a relationship. See, the Christian life is bittersweet and the word of God is bittersweet. The prophetic word is bittersweet because it represents God's perfect love, but also his justice at the very same time. God is a God of love Amen. on one hand, but he's also a God of what? Justice on the other hand. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is so significant because only the cross of Jesus Christ gives an explanation for how God's mercy and his justice could be met completely and fully and perfectly at one place at one time. It's because Jesus Christ is both the just and the justifier. Because he died for our sins so that he could what? forgive us of our sin. He paid the penalty for our sins so that he could redeem us from our sin. You see, he brought it all together there at the cross. Where heaven and earth met was at the cross. And so when we see John take the little scroll from the hand of the angel, again, I think that this is representative of the same scroll that we saw back in chapter 5. And the angel says, John, I want you to eat it. Now, I don't think that that necessarily means that he's like chewing on paper here. Okay, it's symbolic of saying, John, I want my word to be where? In you. Because you're not done prophesying yet. See, we got to start talking about the two witnesses and we're going to start talking about the beast and his empire. And we're going to talk about mystery Babylon and we're going to talk about the seventh trumpet and all the bold judgments. And we're gonna, we got a lot to cover the new heaven and the new earth. You see, John, you're not finished yet. But when I give this scroll to you, look, it's going to taste really good in your mouth because, guys, being a Christian and looking forward to the day of our redemption when all these answers will finally be given to us, guys, it is a sweet day. It's a sweet thing to think about that we are hoping and waiting for that day of our final redemption. But at the same time, there's a world out there around us that's utterly lost. In darkness. And as far as I know, who else is going to tell them about the coming judgment? Who's going to tell them? Are we? You're going to be the most popular person in your workspace? 
See, there's the, there's the bitterness of understanding the gravity that when He comes and judgment comes, hell is real. Judgment is certain. God will avenge. Justice will be served. Amen. The day of reckoning will come. You see, it, it's sweet for us. It's a, sweet, it's a sweet day of our redemption. It's a bitter day for the rest of the world. And even just being a Christian in this world, again, bittersweet because God satisfies us and gives us peace and He never leaves us and He never forsakes us and He gives us purpose and He gives us so much hope. And at the same time, we're like a bunch of aliens walking around out here, like fish out of water. We don't belong in this world. And it's hard and it's difficult and we get persecuted and we get ostracized and we get ridiculed and we're the brunt of everybody's jokes and we're called, you know, Bible thumping, backwoods, Bible believing, you know, religious fanatics or whatever it may be. And we have to identify with Jesus Christ and being persecuted for his namesake. It's, it's no fun. It's bitter. And so that's what John is told. Now, this isn't the first time and I'm going to wrap this up here. See, Ezekiel was told the very same thing. Look at what Ezekiel was told by the Lord. Amen. Ezekiel 2. Son of man, hear what I say to you. Don't be rebellious like that rebellious house, talking of the house of Israel. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of what? Lamentation, mourning, and whoa, Ezekiel's like, I don't want to have to take this message to the people. I don't want to have to be the bearer of bad news. And he said to me, son, eat whatever you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. The word of God is sweet, guys. But it's bitter. Amen. It's bitter. Now I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. And I, I want you to, to think about this as we close. Now, I think our whole life should be a journey of discovery. Don't take, listen guys, don't take my word for what I say to you out here today or any given Sunday. The, the greatest thing that a pastor will ever, maybe not ever, but one of the greatest things that a pastor will see in his congregation is a congregation that are like Bereans. They, they, they test the word. They, they study the scriptures for what? For themselves. I'm going to give you this illustration. It's been heavy on my heart. I'm just going to go ahead and lay it out there. Let's say I invite you over to dinner. And I go, I've got all the ingredients, fresh made meal. I go through all this work. I fix the best meal that you can imagine. I put all my sweat and tears into it. And I'm doing the best that I can to present this beautiful meal. And I, I set the table. I invite you in my house. I set the uh, food on the table. We all gather around the table. We all sit down. And, and, and as a guest, you just cross your arms like that. And you look at me like, what? I'm like, well... I prepared this meal so that we could share this meal and eat this meal together. And they're like, I want you to feed me. I'm not going to eat that. You got to feed me. How would you feel? It, it, it would it'd be very disrespectful, wouldn't it? It would hurt your feelings, right? What do you mean? I'm not going to feed you. I, I fixed this meal so that you could eat the meal. 
But how many times do we come into the church? I've spent all week preparing this message. You come in here, you sit down, you sit there and you're like, okay, pastor, do what? Feed me. I'll come back next week. How many of you are opening up your Bibles in here? Taking out your pen and your notes. Writing stuff down. Writing down questions. Going home and studying. You're taking your family back to the house and saying, let's talk about the message today. What did you learn today? What questions do you have? Hey, did you hear that? Did you hear that? This is my question. This is your question. Do you do, you do that or are you just want me to feed you every week? I know that's hard. But until you take that next step to start feeding yourself, you're never going to grow. Amen. Never going to grow. And I love you. I love every one of you. But if you want to encourage your pastor, break out your Bibles, break out your notes, and let's get serious about studying the Word of God together. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song. Father, I thank you so much for my church family that they allow me to do what I do and, and sometimes to say hard things, Lord, not because I'm angry or disappointed, but just because I love them. And I just want them to go deeper, Lord. I want them to grow and mature and be able to stand on their own. I want them to teach me things about the Scripture. I want the Scriptures to come alive for them, Lord. Get us out of the mentality, Lord, that we're here to be served that we're here to be consumers. But give us the mentality, Lord, that we're here to grow and we're here to serve and we're here to, to, to really take the next step, Lord, into our spiritual journey as we want to be more like you, Lord. And I thank you, God, that all the questions that we have will be answered one day. But until that day, continue to help us look to your scripture, turn to you in prayer, so that, Lord, we can find the answers that we need to help us through the day to help us through the struggle, to help us through the suffering. Lord, I love you and I thank you for this church. And I praise you and I ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you